0: Greetings from Portugal.
1: Change House Portugal.
0: Hold on. This is how I feel about Portugal. <laughs> that's how I feel. Uplifted. Very much so.
2: <laughs>
1: D- do we have like the royalties to use what is, I presume, the Portuguese national anthem?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a good question. That it was less than 30 you. seconds. It was. Oh, yes, and we oh, talked man. all over it, so it's fine. <laughs> good those are the rules. Uh,
0: so all... look, at that, look at that humorous coffee cup, isn't it great? How's wow? Well? We just saw him this morning, we trained this morning and uh, I feel dreadful. He's fine, he's fine, but uh, he's uh, Nikki and him are kindred spirits. Well, she wants to go out on his motorbike, which is uh, basically it's a euphemism for let's have sex together, isn't it? It is, isn't it? I want to have a ride on your motorbike. That's a bit he does have a motorbike, can I? You know, I think
1: I think it's if she'd said that she wants to straddle his powerful chopper. I think that <laughs>
0: she did no she did actually say that. She did say that, and I just thought she'd said the other thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, I'm in big trouble. You're,
1: then you're in trouble. I am. But but then it's wow, you, you owe him so much anyway, is that not? Not
0: that much. Oh, hang on a minute, that's uh, indecent on.
2: proposal levels
3: there. Mm. Stephen, that's a nice jumper. I have you to thank for it, Rory.
0: Lift it up, Steve. Lift it up. Show, show the
3: group. I wouldn't normally. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, nice, as yeah. you know, take fashion advice nice. from any of you three goons. Quite but, right, Steve. Uh, you you've steered me in a, in, in a, a good direction, Rory. I even got a compliment the other night from somebody who does dress well about how much they like my new jumper. Steve. Who was Who's that, Steve? One of the dads from school. Nice. Is He's he your considerably hero? considerably more presentable than any uh, of there's,
2: there's you always, There's always another um, dad who you want to be yeah, more yeah, like, yeah. isn't yeah. there? Yeah. I wish I was more like you that. you got actor. a crush on him, <laughs> Steve.
0: Yeah. yeah. Got a crush on him. Is he the dad that you, you wish he could be? Is he a good
3: dad? I, I assume, assume so.
0: No, no terrible dresses dad. Well. Just dress as yeah. well. <laughs> his
3: kids, kids seem to turn up to school fairly regularly, unmarked.
0: As far as you and know. All and all you can in relatively clean clothes.
1: My top fashion tip, wear a hoodie literally all of the time.
2: The... I I made a slightly snarky comment on our our WhatsApp group um, which invoked Rory and he very um, sensibly left it alone, which is that I was at this place um, in the Cotswolds over the weekend and genuinely everybody was either wearing the kind of clothes that we see Rory wearing when he is on this podcast or alternatively the kind of clothes that his dad would wear were he to appear on the podcast. Hang on, define what sort of clothes I wear whilst on the podcast well a hoodie all the time or a dog walking jacket i
3: can't imagine Rory's yeah. dad in a hoodie no 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 he,
2: he he's no. the kind of, he's the kind of gentleman who wears kind of bespoke headwear he's the kind of the kind of gentleman who i would imagine that would only wear headwear that was fitted and not just bought oh rod rod just doesn't wear a hat ever <laughs> that's that's um no, that because dad... he has such wonderful hair that he wants wants it to be... but you know the kind of people who whenever they venture outwards <laughs> Post 9am, it requires a venture hat. Outward. Venture
0: outwards. Venture outwards.
2: Go out. They do so and they wear a hat for the occasion or indeed the temperature. And so there are lots of gentlemen who are wearing lots of different hats, bearing, uh, bearing in mind both of those two things.
1: I would say that I would define my dad's fashion choices as colorblind aristocrat, <laughs> falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit, <laughs> goes on the run in a situation in which his last meal was particularly sloppy, some sort of stew, that's what I would say my
3: dad's R- rod is not rod is not a well turned out individual. Rod looks like a vagrant <laughs> Rory, get this proposal written down because Netflix are all over that idea. Mm. They will buy literally any content, but the yeah there, there is rod does have a
1: hat, but it's the sort of hat that you would see. It's a gardening hat. He wears a hat to garden to stave off the beating Yorkshire sun. Is it a visor? No, it's not not like a golfer's visor. No, it's like a like a floppy brimmed. It's an Australian's hat. He wears an Australian's hat With but without corks. The corks, without the corks, without the corpse. <laughs> yes. There's more food on it than there ought to be for food. any type for any type of hat. I cannot tell you everyone in life should have the experience of Rod Smith 79 years young drinking a salad. If you thought it was impossible to drink a salad It's not like not like one that's been blended. It's just like full on like, lettuce leaves and tomatoes. But but slurped down like a pig at a trough.
2: I stand corrected. There were no people like that at the Cotswolds. No, not week, in the Cotswolds. Yeah. This is Set B's Money, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Rory Smith, at home among the windbreakers and dog walking of West Yorkshire, Stephen Wyeth, at home among the wax jackets and rugby playing of Cheshire, and Andy Hinchcliffe, at home among the weightlifters and body worshippers of João's Gym.
0: Yeah, I've not been, like most we have all had this cold, not, I wouldn't say it's flu, but I've had a heavy cold for about two and a half. You know, when you go back to start doing some exercise again, you feel the pot. You just don't do any exercise, Rory. Do you? But when you no. when for, for for real men, Steve and I, you and you and Hugh, clearly not. But when when you go back, Steve, into the gym, or you, you feel you need to get over that first few days, you need to get over the hump, don't you? But you feel dreadful. Don't you? have to have a cold. It's not good. It's not good.
3: I, I bet you were popular on the uh, the Manchester DeFaro Express with your heavy cold, Chinch. <laughs> I you accused.
0: Accusing glances in the direction of your row. It is on the plane. If you, I, I do it on purpose now. I <laughs> cough over loudly just to see how many heads I can turn. Seventeen is my record. Did you sort of open a massive bag of salted peanuts as well, just to
3: make sure you were persona <laughs> non grata? <coughs>
2: there you say, it's going again. Just don't, just don't make him laugh. That's the. That's the...
1: <coughs> Change if it's any help. I've also got the mega cold. Yeah, but you don't do anything. Well, I do. I mean, I walk about seven miles a day, so I would. I would seven miles
0: a day. Yeah. That's yeah. horseshit. <laughs> You're walking fifty miles a week. I'd say. I'd say it's up there. Yeah. Why? You're walking just... to a well to get water. Why are you Stop. walking that far? Just,
1: just very environmentally conscious, and I've got a very demanding spaniel.
0: Seven miles. a day. That's. I need to well, see evidence could... of that. I, could be. Ah, changing the see... tune. I need to see can evidence. Step counter. Do you want to see my step counter?
3: My step yes. Counter?
0: This is how no, badly, but you can forge how that other
3: fuel shortages in Yorkshire. <laughs> no full
1: fuel shortage in Yorkshire. We've got our own sense of self satisfaction. That's Seven how we charge our bills.
2: Miles a
0: day. That's my you also Whatever run is your
2: it's cars on bitter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thwaites. <laughs> uh it's they run their lives on bitterness. Anyway. <laughs> what are you um, uh, what are you are doing down there, Rory? What are you trying to you're trying to falsify? What? And I can't make my screen bigger. Can you see that? No, that says glaring. Hector. Oh, no. That's you. no, I can't see that. It's gl- 17,000 steps yesterday. Yeah, but you can have very small steps. I've got you know me, Chinch. I've got a massive stri- I've got a yeah, stride. You haven't got a big stride. You've not it's got a reacher stride. stride. You've got, got, got a, a toddler's gait, haven't you?
3: <laughs> He's put his Fitbit on Hector. Yes. <laughs> Hector's lead. Yes. That Dangled like some doggy treats on a fishing rod in front of Hector and just set him off on his way.
0: Yeah. Because if, if you walk, a dog walks probably three times as far because yeah. it does the diagonals, doesn't it? It's all over yeah. the shop. So if you put it around his, his... Dogs don't have wrists. Put it around his leg, I that's what you've done. You've cheated there. The the thing with Hector
1: is, when you, once you factor the Hector thing into it, is that there's also a lot of kind of resistance training there you're having to hold him back the entire time. So you're doing that. It's like being on a rowing machine. So I would say, in a way, I've rowed seven miles a day.
2: <laughs> this, is, this is why and how... <laughs> Rory is able to eat quite so many biscuits without ballooning to the size of at least three joules. Um, The food is, uh, as recently provided by Rory's father, Rod, a drunk salad. Now, that's not a salad that you might douse in the bitterness, sorry, the bitter that fuels Yorkshire's uh, internal combustion (laughs) engines. But in fact, so what does he, would you like to give us a slightly more um, loquacious uh, rendition of quite how he manages to drink a salad?
1: Well, he makes a salad, he's quite good at making salads, as rod, to be fair. He, he's got a spec, he's very kind of what's the word like as he's got older, he's very kind of routine driven. So he doesn't any longer recognize the days of the week, he doesn't understand what, because di- what, he's retired, he doesn't understand what day means. Like, he doesn't know what, understand. he doesn't really have a concept of like Wednesday. And the only way he can identify what day it is is by what he's having for lunch. He has the he has like a, a Monday lunch, a Tuesday lunch, or Wednesday, Wednesday is Pine Peas Day. Wednesday to Thursday lunch or Friday lunch and if you change it he gets extremely confused and quite cross. So, does he doesn't it, it, it unmoors him from reality and that is a thin thin strand holding him holding him tight. But he he t- with every meal he has a salad, he's health conscious, has have to have a salad with your pie and peas for lunch every Wednesday. And he he chops it all up and it so it's, it's got leaves, a bit of bit of spring onion, a bit of radish, occasionally a little bit of cheese sprinkled on it. Bit unhealthy not for me, but it, you know it's what he likes. And then basically he puts it in a bowl. And you know if you go into a proper restaurant in, like, Japan, the idea with, with a bowl of ramen is to be quite close to it to prevent yeah. dripping. Rod has the same approach with salad, but it's not necessary. does not as liquid. So he gets really close to it and just goes... <laughs> like that. And it disappears in about 10 seconds. It is amazing. Just with
0: salad? Just with salad? Or just with salad. Like he, just I mean, he's,
1: salad. He's, he's a fairly grim eater of all foods, but with yeah. salad it is particularly... It's particularly distressing, and it's every day. So now that I go to my parents a lot for lunch, I see him eat, inhale a salad is the best way to describe it. He inhales a salad. Have you mentioned it to him and said how... how no, we, we have a policy of, of not trying to... Not talking to each anger other. ...anger <laughs> my dad. But because you have to, the other thing you have to be aware of when you're having dinner with Rod or any sort of meal is that at some point he will say, don't want to change the subject too much, and then bring up what he refers to exclusively as the climate apocalypse and literally every conversation you have with him, and this is not an exaggeration, I'm not playing this for laughs, ends with my dad predicting the deaths of billions of people,
2: but not being particularly upset about it. Well, back back, back to the satisfaction derived from the bitterness that is the currency of Yorkshire. Uh, the football is, Chinch, do you know what you're talking about today? Is
0: it tiny drip drips or big splashes? Is that kind of what we're talking about? That's what I gathered from the conversations you were having and I was just reading on the WhatsApp group is it something to do with little mini stories or big whopping stories well, it's is it like something to, to, it's, is, it, is it, Yeah you, you got yeah. You, you got to something that might yeah.
2: have relevance but clearly clearly your your speed reading of the text is is letting you down from all those miles away in Portugal Yes like if João was to ask a client to bench press a marshmallow, fresh, fresh, we are fresh. asking, yes, that was in the edit, we are asking if we're lifting up the wrong things in football. Um, if anybody paid attention enough for that little couplet of a joke, then well done to you. Following the Saudi takeover of Newcastle, sorry, the investment fund that is not at all linked to the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia taking over Newcastle, uh, we have it once again, and literally this time, in black and white, The money, from wherever it comes, is the thing most heralded in the game. So is it time to praise something else? Instead of celebrating Newcastle, should we perhaps celebrate Norwich? Uh, That is all to come. Before we reach the further ado, a quick reminder that we are doing SPM 250 live from the National Football Museum on Thursday, November the 4th. That's Thursday, November the 4th. It's a seven o'clock start. It'll only cost you £8 plus a booking fee, and you can reduce that tiny financial burden further by using the discount code Menu for 10% off your ticket price. That's Thursday, the 4th of November. Head to nationalfootballmuseum.com or one word, nationalfootballmuseum.com for tickets. Please buy tickets. That's Thursday, the 4th of November for SPM 250. 250 live, uh, coming up in uh, under a month's time. So yeah, really, please buy tickets. Um, you can get in touch with the podcast, com is our email address. Adam Bremner is our newest Buffalo, and he has responded with this missive from his Long Island estate, which I imagine is massive. Dear Ringer T-shirt, V-neck T-shirt, Tri-Blend T-shirt, Extra Soft and Curvy V-neck. Uh, well, that was a great way to start Wednesday. Truly special to receive such surprise recognition in these times. Thanks! But I was a little perturbed by the comment that you were all still waiting for invitation to New York. The invite was extended to you all on September the 3rd of last year. In an email I sent, and I quote, you are all still welcome to visit and host a New York-based pod anytime you want. We now have a hot tub so the four of you can run away in the tub while turning beetroot red like true Brit. Maybe Hugh didn't share the invite with the rest of you it still stands but you're going to have to come to the North Fork of Long Island the opposite side of Peconic Bay or Peconic Bay if uh, anybody can help me with the pronunciation of that from the Hamptons those listeners that know the area will agree that it's a beautiful spot and a lot nicer uh, than the Hamptons can I just clarify at this point if you look at the semantics here you are still welcome to visit and host a New York based pod he doesn't say he's going to host and he certainly does not mention any subsidization of that trip Uh, so frankly I ignored it and just on the subject of of last week's pod, Playbooks, continues Adam. I always smile whenever I hear commentators say, that was something straight from the training ground, whenever a set piece works. This does beg the question, where does the rest of the game and tactics come from, if not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't. Oh, no. I'm sure I did that last night. Oh God, what a horrible, horrible <laughs> there go. thought. There we go. That was just for you, Stephen. Uh, all the best, P.S. Off to buy my Buffalo T-shirt now. Maybe one each for the family uh, this Christmas. Well, I hope you have a large family. And yes, maybe one each, maybe two each is what I'd suggest there. Uh, that's Adam Bremner. Um, we have, in fact, had countless emails on last week's episode on Playbooks, which confirms once again that I don't count emails. And also that it was an excellent suggestion by me. Uh, here's Vishnu Kumaraswamy. God, uh,
1: does he have to?
0: Geez, if, if we don't <laughs> pat him on the back, he's got to pat himself with it's his big pathetic.
3: hands on him. It's One idea a year.
1: Well done here. Well he done. Vastly contributes one. It's like someone
3: celebrating head. a milestone birthday. He stretches Congrats. it out over multiple Mighty. weeks. So
1: needy. You know, I tell you what, he knows all about this more than he was about having a child. Tell me about it. God,
2: is he still? Oh, he's still there. Thank you, that gave me a chance to have a nice little sip of my brew. Here's Vishnu Kumaraswamy. Dear John, Michael, Eric and Terry, he says at the end you can choose which Terry, Jones or Gilliam. It's been a little over a year since I was featured on your quite excellent podcast and the latest episode on Playbooks has inspired me to write to you again. Needless to say, I enjoy every pod greatly and it is a wonderful accompaniment to my exercise every Thursday morning. See, Chinch, other people do exercise. I found the latest episode intriguing. While all coaches train players in patterns of play, I still think that the success of those patterns in open play relies heavily on the players' ability to execute them. For example, while Sadio Mane's goal against City that you mentioned was clearly a result of a practice sequence of runs and passes, the goal would not have been scored without the brilliance of Mo Salah, finding a way to even be in that position to make the final pass. To that extent, I don't believe that a manager and their playbook are transferable between clubs. What might work for Julian Nagelsmann at Bayern Munich at Open Play might not work for him at, say, Newcastle, given the gulf and the skill levels between the players at those clubs, this might change for Newcastle in the not too distant future. It might be time, he says, to revisit SPM 175. However, set pieces are a different matter entirely. I would argue that the successful execution of a set piece is more dependent on the positioning of players and usually relies on only one or two passes en route to goal. To that end, I would suggest that football, soccer, not the NFL, adopts a phased approach to the introduction of playbooks. Start with the playbook of set pieces and then take it from there, depending on how successful it is. Which finally brings me to the main reason that I wrote in. A playbook of set pieces would offer managers a selection of plays categorized according to free kicks, subcategorized by distance and angle, corners, and throw ins, also subcategorized by position. It would also include the current XG or XGA for each play, depending on whether the team is attacking or defending. I would humbly suggest that such a tome can only have one name Set Piece Menu. I would also suggest that you trademark your name before some smart alec uses it for a playbook on set pieces. All the best and keep up the good work. Uh, Thanks once again. That's from Vishnu. Meanwhile, hot on Vishnu's heels is Jack Gunther. Dear Post, Go Screen and Fumblerooski, First I must register my disappointment at the missed opportunity for a glorious pun. A playbook? Isn't a playbook simply a set piece menu? So thank you to Jack mm. uh, and to Vishnu. Jack continues with some uh, other notable points. I enjoyed SBM 252, and not just because it was such an American crossover episode. It seems to me that Nagelsmann doesn't want a playbook so much as the ability to execute discrete plays with full control while the game is stopped. Both football and football have plays. The distinction is that American football has several dozen defined moments in which both teams run specific plays that correspond to their overall scheme, but end when the moment is over and the clock stops. I think this is why the word pattern is in such vogue for people attempting to describe how football slash soccer teams operate. The word play has strong American football connotations and implies a set start and end patterns are learned, sometimes intentional, sometimes instinctive, and often some combination of the two. For some such patterns, it seems like coaches are almost superfluous. If Chinch went and played foot with a team who spoke no English and had been coached entirely differently, there are nonetheless some patterns that would be familiar to him. Nagelsmann seems to want to short-circuit the problem that each of these patterns is a game-theoretical conundrum because the game almost never stops and starts, so there are a few moments to regroup, assess what your opponent is doing, and change accordingly. Ironically, introducing American football-style discretion Street plays would probably make Nagelsmann less of a hot commodity because the number of high-quality coaches would skyrocket if they had the chance to explain their aims and give specific instructions every five minutes that is from jack gunther luke jensen jones is in oxford and says this dear jerry george elaine and kramer which i think is the most used quartet of introductions "Uh, your podcast last week on playbooks and the tactical evolution of football was truly excellent certainly one of the best football podcast episodes i've listened to for a long time the see now now you think that i'm keeping it in just for me when in fact i'm actually keeping it in because Hmm. it's a theme are you though Uh, yes uh, the blend of detailed tactical analysis, historical forays into the former Soviet Republic and sustained mocking of the NFL made for a near-perfect episode. You see, I keep it in for a theme, not for me. I say near-perfect because the one thing I would like to have heard mentioned is differential learning, a training method most prominently associated with Thomas Tucker, but also other up-and-coming German managers like Marco Rosa. The basic premise is to use training exercises, not just to drill repetitive patterns that players then execute in-game, but to encourage them to find their own solutions within the framework of certain tactical principles. Principles. Tuchel forcing players to use a triangular pitch with less space out wide helped improve their ability to find space in the channels and making his defenders hold tennis balls when practicing set pieces stop them from trying to grab their opponent's shirts in the penalty area. In doing this I feel he has perhaps found a sweet spot between the Solskjaer slash Mourinho reliance on individualism and the total requirement for control over every element of a player's actions that Nagelsmann appears to favour. Players are still free to make their own decisions and to use their brilliance to find unique and creative solutions on the pitch but they are crucially aided in this by a coach who could both identify the types of problems they might need to solve in order to win the game and design training sessions to make the discovery of such solutions easier to come by. Uh, Continuing the educational theme, Anand writes from San Francisco, he says rep in the West Coast after the barrage of East Coast emails that seemed to flood the podcast recently. Long time slash first time and I continue to savor and re-listen to controlled doses of time-insensitive pure nuance that remains SPM. On how playbooks move from U.S. sports becoming relevant in European soccer, how much of it is because of the university system and the outsized role it has in the development of professional athletes in the U.S.? The playbook approach almost seems to be what a teacher would explain to students, i.e. the teacher devises the play, the students memorize and internalize it, the students go out and execute. Contrasted with the academy system in the UK, which has less of a regimented structure versus the schooling system, and that almost no footballer goes to university in Europe, one feels, maybe playbooks just haven't been integrated into the curriculum to such a degree. That is from Anna. Mm. I
1: think that's an interesting theory. I suspect it's it, the reality is a bit more damning on football, to be honest, that in, certainly in Britain, right up until I guess the 70s, 60s and 70s maybe, managers weren't weren't there to do anything other than keep people fit that was what oh we talked about this last week that mm, yeah. that kind of there, there there was no idea of kind of tactical differentiation there was no idea about kind of s- specific patterns of movement that stuff happened abroad and Italy was kind of experimenting with tactics in the 20 in the 1920s and then Lab- Lobanovsky as we mentioned kind of came up with his ideas of kind of predetermined movements I guess in the 70s but I think it's because for a long time in football history there wasn't any any sense that that managers had anything to teach that they were there they were trainers I mean the Germans still use the word trainer for a, for a coach um, Bundes trainer for example the um, which means national trainer um, the the uh, does that mean that
2: Bundesliga means
1: national league yes the yeah and I think that's probably the difference that might be related to the to the role of universities in American sport but I'm not. I'm not sure I think it's maybe mainly more to do with with how football with football's kind of like bespoke and atomized development, which didn't seem to sort of take into consideration things like tactics in Britain until relatively recently. It's a little bit different in Italy where where tactics would have be been much more important for much longer, um, where I think that there are there are probably things, there are certainly defensive playbooks. I don't know, I think attacking might be a relatively recent phenomenon, but there are certainly
3: defensive playbooks in Italy. The idea that we, uh, this is going back, I think, to to Vishnu's email and and ties in with what Ananda's just said as well. The idea that you might eventually see a head coach in a soccer technical area with a ring binder of laminated sheets with plays on it, I think that feels like it would potentially be going a little bit far. In, in football because it's a little it's more organic it feels like it's the kind of stuff that would be learnt on the training ground and then implemented on the pitch rather than this idea that you would physically have a playbook and someone calling out plays during the course because you don't have those reset moments in football as you do in American football
1: is it not possible that you know when players do corners and they, they'll they quite often put them, like one hand to mean it's going near post the other hand to put mean far post both hands to me, I'm going to hit the first man, they're in a counter-attack. The, um, the, is it, is, is it slightly strange that football doesn't have an equivalent system where the manager can make a signal to say, okay, now you kind to pre-learn like five signals before the, before each game and they change constantly. And at, you know, 20 minutes in, the manager spots something and it's, and it means, he puts up his right hand to mean overload, overload mm-hmm. the right hand side or something. Is there not? It, that strikes me as being slightly odd. It does seem strange that managers have to spend all of their time in massive stadiums full of people just shouting. That <laughs> yeah. seems a bit weird in 2021.
0: So I, I was just thinking about the coaches, if they have this kind of big book of plays or patterns of play, are they in some ways bound by the intellectual capacity of the players to understand exactly what's needed? And also, if they don't go through a schooling system as they may be doing in the States, do, do the coaches have to understand that? And Maybe it will take a bit longer for people who maybe aren't used to studying and taking in information and then putting it into practice out on the pitch. That's, that's so again, great. the trainer's learning all the time about how the, how the best way of getting the modern football player. Some will take it on board and understand completely and have that capacity to do it. But I suppose a lot of... It's, it's, you can't really blame the players if they haven't been through an education system that enables them to take in information. Even though they can play the game, it's not about playing the game, it's how we're going to play the game. And in this instance, in that instance... Can you actually adapt? Can you take on board what I'm telling you and put it into practice without me telling you what to do and shouting every two seconds? <laughs> That's, isn't that part of the recruitment though? If you, if you have the
2: ability to be able to select who you want to buy as opposed to those uh, who don't necessarily have the amount of money that allows them to do that, part of the recruitment is to try and find the kind of player who will take that information on board or is mm. more, more pertinently to what you're saying is capable of Taking that information on board, and, and that might be one of the di- differentiations that they have between player a yeah. and player b player b they 're pretty much the same in terms of all other aspects of their of their personality and their game,
0: but actually that is the reason why we want them yeah in, in terms of the set piece as well about this, this signaling I, I, well when we were successful at Everton do we, we didn 't actually work that way. We basically got players to attack areas, and i, I couldn 't tell you, even though you 're a professional player. If I put my hand up, that means I'm going to try and hit the near post. You can still get it wrong. And I think what, what they did at Everton in terms of their coaching is to say, well, getting it wrong by a, a couple of metres shouldn't then affect your chance of scoring. So you fill areas with attacking players and the, the person that's taking the set piece, yes, he might hit the front post, the middle or the far post. You're not really trying to do any of those in particular because you can't, it's very difficult to put it right on the money all the time. So what we tended to do is this is the arc of what we're trying to do and here's the attacking players to attack the areas that the ball will eventually, if you beat the first man, it will end up in one of those areas. So we make sure we don't all pile into the near post or pile into the far post and and ask the free kick taker to drop it right on the money at the far post. We made it, probably play the percentages. As long as you beat the first man, you have an opportunity to score and that's not just the the free kick taker or the corner taker, it's the attacking areas that your attacking players, your big centre-halves, attack when that ball is delivered into the box. So we we had no need for signalling because we had people in all the right areas. It was just down to me putting pace on a ball and beating that first man. And they do have laminated sheets, obviously, for the the set pieces that they show to substitutes as
2: well, who who they should, their, their kind of personal assignments... D- depending on an attacking or, or, or defensive free kick. So there there is at least a, a principle of having that. You know, they cycle through them way too quickly than you imagine that any information you, could be put on board. Do you know when substitutes like, go
0: on and they have these bits of paper? That's it, yeah. they, they Yeah, but why, through them, surely, surely shouldn't you have worked out? What, does that? Is there something that you need to actually tell them so they can read it and say, oh, right, that's what we're doing now? I guess it should depends have been who that you're coming on for, though, doesn't it? I suppose it? so, yeah. But again, if you have a squad and you have a... Surely you should have an, have an idea of... But I suppose you then on the hoof, you have to maybe say, well, actually, no, it's not something that we anticipated. So we send on a bit of paper that one of the players has to eat so the opposition can't see it. But I always find that a bit interesting. So I say, well, is this so, so strange and unusual what they're going to do here that they need to write it down a bit of paper for the players to understand? We no, should so encourage
2: it them. because that is essentially a set-piece menu that they are going mm. through. Mm-hmm. And eating
0: film. it, excellent.
3: But footballers are like the, the, the main character in that film, Memento, that what they can remember... Only lasts so long. Goldfish. In the film, he had to get it tattooed on his body, but in, in a football if, if they if they're coming on onto on the immediate side of the pitch where the technical area is, they don't have to, to write it down because they can be fairly sure they'll remember it that long. But if they're going over to the far side, then it's probably, probably best so, to So just by it. the time they get
0: to the centre circle, it's like, what did, yeah. he, who was that? What did I mention? Mean he meant doesn't to want to have playing. to go back. Got it forgotten. Mm.
2: (laughs) Uh, We will finish our Further Ado uh, with three short hits. Firstly, from Art Magalian, our Minneapolis correspondent, who has for us a history lesson, which will chime with uh, something that Rory has just said and also written in his excellent book, Mr., available now everywhere. This is from Art, 2 the Four Horsemen, uh, not of the apocalypse, but of Notre Dame or Notre Dame, depending on how annoyed you might get with that. Uh, I really enjoyed this week's installment, and I'm happy that you all did too. Thou knowest... Thou, kn- thou knowest... Thou knowest... Verily, <laughs> <laughs> thou knowest... his art in Minneapolis in the 17th century. Okay. Normally, my mistakes get edited out, but that was funny enough to Go back stay to the bench press. <laughs> That did get edited out, uh, but it's been mentioned enough to now uh, be part of the podcast. Though now it's going to bother me, says Art, when you don't announce your enjoyment of every week's podcast. The irony is that American football, he says, in its early days and right up to the 1960s, resembled soccer in that the creat- creativity originated on the field and not on the sidelines with the coaches. The analogy isn't perfect, the gridiron has always had set plays, but in the past those plays were selected by the captain on the field, usually the quarterback, and truth be told, improvisation was a part of it. As Rory suggested in regards to soccer managers, the American football coach in the early days concerned himself mainly with getting his players fit, keeping them on the straight and narrow and inspiring them to win one for the Gipper. In the days before the offensive coordinator or offensive coordinator, the head coach sent his players into the game with a general idea of what was expected of them and then put his trust in the quarterback to execute the plan, not unlike most soccer managers today. In the days before Tom Brady, Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers, there was Johnny Unitas and Bart Starr. Those guys literally drew plays in the dirt during the huddle. Eventually, the game became more complicated than off-tackle left and off-tackle right, I could explain, I'm not going to bother. Coaches began sending in plays via a substitute player, then hand signals, and finally, electronic messaging. Hugh is right to emphasise those quarterbacks who are adept at recognising defences and calling audibles, but even Brady is uh, mostly just following instructions and running the plays that he is told to run. There was a time when virtually all the play calling originated on the field. That's from Art Magalian in Minneapolis. Um, And finally to a point made by both Craig O'Callaghan and John Lewis. Not that one or that one or indeed that one. Uh, John first and his email is littered with words, the pronunciation of which will infuriate the three of you. Uh, Hi there, Staldreher, Miller, Crowley and Layden, who are the four horsemen just mentioned uh, by Art. When discussing playbooks and individual genius, I think what was missed is that plays in American football are typically not meant to end in touchdowns. Most routes written routes, but routes is how they say it. And patterns in a passing play and everything about running plays are meant to gain 5 to 20 yards at a time. Huge gains or long touchdowns are typically either because the defence missed an assignment or because a player on the offence pulled off something spectacular. See Patrick Mahomes underhanding passes out of sacks, players like Lamar Jackson extending broken plays or the Derek Henrys and Reggie Bushes of the world turning a three yard loss into a uh, 45 yard gain. Also, I know Nagelsmann was speaking in reference to American football, but I think a better analogy for plays in football of the European variety is basketball, where plays are cool while the game is in motion and the game typically doesn't stop if the play fails. For teams who are heavy on possession, the ability to reset and run a second play or to abandon the play altogether and rely on your superstar to create a scoring opportunity, pending the shot clock, of course, without stopping the motion of the game in basketball would translate more to a football team than the start-stop of American football players. And Craig adds, given that many NFL plays are not specifically designed to score a touchdown, it's perhaps worth considering that any soccer playbook won't actually be about scoring goals, but about achieving other more easily accomplished goals. Perhaps teams will have specific plays designed to win free kicks in a particular area of the pitch, to win corners, to target an opposing player already on a yellow card, or, more worryingly for the neutral, to waste time and kill the game. Football is a low-scoring sport and a goal is a much smaller target to aim for than an entire end zone. If an intricate attacking player is designed to pull the opposition defence out of position, that was defence you'll notice because it's about our football, to score a goal, the simplest way to counter it is to get the bus keys from Jose Mourinho and find a parking space. Conversely, American football, to the best of my knowledge, has no concept of parking the bus. Uh, One final thought, because an email to Setpiece Menu isn't finished unless you've mentioned the merch at tpublic.com. Just search for SPM or Setpiece Menu. Would an NFL-style Setpiece Menu football jersey make Hugh insufferable and or just be too boring? Uh, That's from Craig. We'd have to discuss what
1: sizes the football jersey was available in, because I remember going to Models in New York to buy myself an American football, an NFL jersey, basically whichever one was on sale and um discovering that the only one that actually fitted me in a proper way was a child's large so we we couldn't we couldn't sell an american football jersey in american football jersey sizes that would be that would be an impossibility we'd have to sell it in british
2: sizes uh, thank you for a much more serious answer than i was mm. ever suggesting i'm i all you know me i'm always i'm always interested in monetization opportunities that's you are that's, that's me you're very solutions driven not problems exactly. driven uh correspondence of any kind to menu at gmail.com thank you for all of your uh, correspondence on uh, <clears so throat> we couldn't get to it all and maybe we'll have a chance to get to it in the future uh, now as was mentioned a little bit too much to be genuine last week i came up with a playbook idea did i mention that did you mention that yes i think we both did <sighs> so it uh, was only right that i acquiesce to the others for this week's topic we have spoken before about
1: the, <laughs> and the, and the other 251 yeah. episodes <laughs>
2: for this week's topic only. Uh, We have spoken before about the Newcastle takeover. As kindly remembered by Vishnu earlier, it was SPM 175. So you're very welcome to revisit that or indeed check it out for the first time. It's been more than a year but very little has changed apart from the takeover actually going through this time. But the fact that very little has changed actually allows us to have a Newcastle adjacent conversation today. The scenes outside St. James's Park on Thursday night and the completely predictable developments in the social media argument will tell you that for football fans, football clubs and even the football media, and yes, there will be some mea culpa times four in this episode, have once again offered praise to the High Priest of Football. Money. But has that gone so far as to crank up the self-awareness, in some of us at least, because are we all praising the wrong things? Should we not celebrate teams like Norwich, self-sustaining, sensible, with a clear identity, rather than dismiss them as irrelevant in the story of soccer? And is it that that story might be the problem in the first place? Are we all complicit in football as a soap opera, which requires grand, mad storylines to keep us all employed and the audience, or rather as the high priest would have it, the consumer? interested so do we all praise the wrong things in football and should we be celebrating Norwich more than Newcastle and given that a lot of the preamble that I've just read out was provided by a Rory WhatsApp message there's a chance he's annoyed I've already stolen his most eloquent thoughts
0: slightly the <laughs> are we all praising Newcastle
2: well yeah.
1: so the thing that triggered this I've had lots of kind of different thoughts over the last week or so I guess no not even that five days since the takeover kind of resurfaced um, one of them is probably for, for, for Chinch is I found it really interesting that that Sky's reaction has been relatively positive, that there's lots of people kind of it's and it's not just it's not unique to Sky, but within the media, there's kind of there's a desire to speculate about who they might sign and who they might, might appoint as manager and and kind of Gary Neville's been relatively enthusiastic about the idea of a powerful Newcastle. And and it just struck me that it's a, that's a really clear example it's quite a wanky phrase that we throw around quite a lot but when we talk about like the football industrial complex it's kind of a joke it's a clever joke it shows that we know that you know the military industrial complex exists but it's a really clear example of, of what that that phrase means i think which is that sky are not neutral observers to the premier league sky are sky and bt to an extent and the print the print media to an extent and the radio to an extent are reliant on the Premier League. They are they are stakeholders within the success of the Premier League because the the bigger and the better that the Premier League is, the more subscribers Sky can can have. The the more viewers there are for match of the day, I guess. I mean obviously match of the day is just one small part of the BBC's output, but it's a significant part. The more people will listen to the radio, the more people will tune in to podcasts, the more people will click on on links published by newspapers and, and websites. we are all we all have a have a vested interest in the Saudis by Newcastle, to some extent. And that's not to say that the reaction has been uniformly positive, because it hasn't by any stretch of the imagination. It's, there has been a, there's been a lot of stuff querying the morality of it and assessing the reasons for it and see, wondering whether the reaction of some of the fans... I there's an idea that people are blaming the fans. I don't think anyone is blaming the fans for it happening. I think some people are suggesting that the fans... The, the reaction of some fans has not been entirely kind of admirable i think dressing up in a thobe with the face master of mohammed bin salman is is not a great thing to be doing to be perfectly honest it's it's culturally insensitive for a start but it's it does rather suggest that you are fo- and i don't I subscribe to this thing where we where we all have to treat football fans like they're children they're not they're literally every everyone outside st james's park celebrating was an adult and they can be treated and judged as an adult being a football fan is not an excuse for being irrational. It's not an excuse for, for doing something that, that doesn't stand up to scrutiny or that, that isn't kind of... You can't just say, we've suffered a lot as football fans and therefore we can do what we like. You have choices to make when you're a football fan and you have
3: to own those choices. Can I just, just jump in there, Rory, to say that this is a thing I've been utterly perplexed by, is that it would surely have been possible to celebrate the end of an era that you believe has seen your club held back mm-hmm. by that particular owner but distinguish yourself a little bit be- a little better in terms of the new ownership you could have celebrated the end of the mike ashley regime rather than celebrating the start of an incoming regime That 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 that, that that's the bit i found the most confusing, along with this sense that, that Newcastle are, are somehow entitled to suddenly have a bottomless pit of money to spend to so become that, a... how would
0: that celebration differ then, Steve, in terms of if you celebrate the end of, well, of the Ashley era, just a bit more considered? Well, as... <laughs> as fewer,
3: fewer
1: fewer people in Saudi dress. Yes. Fewer Saudi flags. Like, flags. Mm-hmm. It is, it is, Steve's right. It's a relative. To be fair, it's a relatively hard balance to strike. But there, there is a way in which you can celebrate the end of Ashley's regime, which is an entirely a thing to, which is entirely a thing to celebrate for you. They could have, have had a up.
3: mass smashing of sports, massive sports yeah. direct mugs outside the, you know, next to the. A mass smashing.
1: They could have just gone to whichever like high street shop that Ashley doesn't now own, like Debenhams or whatever. And shopped there for a bit. That would have been perfect. The perfect I think. He, I think cost. he owns. I think he there's owns owned evidence. evidence now. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you could, could have, have gone set, to, set fire to a house of Fraser carrier bag. I mean, there's numerous, numerous <laughs> ways it could have been achieved.
1: You you don't have to celebrate the fact that that the, the, the Saudis have come in. You can celebrate the fact that Ashley has gone and your club now has a different owner. That's totally totally legitimate. I think. the the parts where people are dressing up in Saudi dress, where they are waving Saudi flags, where they are putting Saudi flags in their avatars on Twitter, where they are sending abuse to the widow of Jamal Khashoggi, where they are reacting with absolute fury or that sort of sophisticated whataboutery to any mention of human rights records, where they are claiming, I think there has to be a degree with which, this is a different subject, but like Newcastle suffering really needs to be put into context. Uh, that's that I say this as someone who's lived in Newcastle, it was a soft spot for Newcastle, who would love them to do well, knows people involved in the takeover. Newcastle have suffered in a sense under Ashley. I don't I, I don't doubt that. That he, he robbed them of hope, and that's the worst thing you can do to a fan. But let's all remember kind of where we all are in the in the petting order. You're not you're not in League Two. Your club's not robust. You are a, a fairly boring, or you have been a fairly boring Premier League team for quite a long time. And I understand that being robbed of hope, being deprived of ambition, and to feel like you're being trolled by your owner is really unpleasant. But there is a, there is a point at which we are conflating the, the, the football suffering of Newcastle United fans and the genuine suffering yeah. of lgbt people in saudi arabia of women in saudi arabia of dissidents in saudi arabia of people who who are being repressed and this isn't this isn't the fans fault it's the media's fault for not being able to separate those two things for talking up the crisis at newcastle as though it was an actual
3: crisis rather than a football team that wasn't doing as well as it might have been and that had a bad owner And I think that we will get on to this idea of a sense of entitlement of football fans ties in with with the broader topic today. But this sort of sense of Newcastle finally back where not only the club belongs, but we deserve them to be. That That because of Mike Ashley, we weren't competing at that level. Last major cup final, 1999. Last FA Cup, 1955. Last league title, 1927. Newcastle haven't just been held back in the last 14 years and this idea of that this is now getting a, getting Newcastle back we're celebrating because Newcastle are now back on an even keel is is completely out of kilter with with history
1: but equally there weren't there, there was definitely a, there is a, a an element of the celebration that is not celebrating that new Tesla back on an even keel. If they yeah. had been, I would love to know. No, but that, would... was, that was
3: trying, to, yeah. that was yeah, trying yeah. to offer some kind of justification yeah. for the, the, this sort of welcoming in of, of the money and, and forgetting or trying to, to disassociate yourself with where it's coming from, because we're so desperate to get back to where we were 14 years ago before this nightmare started. Which Newcastle's was, nightmare yeah. in terms of failing to win silverware started several decades before Mike mm-hmm. Ashley got involved. It
1: would be interesting to know, well, it's a total hypothetical, there would have been a celebration had a relatively small time local based I don't know not even that but like had you know the people who bought Burnley like if they had bought Newcastle there would have been a celebration obviously just the the fans quite rightly and I don't think I've seen any anyone challenging the orthodoxy that they were right to want rid of ashley there there is no criticism of the fans there at all they would have celebrated because ashley was gone but i i would suggest that that the the frenzy and the fervor of the celebrations were directly linked to the perceived financial power of the people behind them if they'd been bought out by some random hedge fund the sort of people who buy teams in italy they wouldn't have been muted necessarily but they wouldn't have been quite as kind of Frenzy. And that is where the media comes in, because I think the, the fact that we are all complicit in this as a media, that we that it is good for Sky to talk up the Saudi investment in Newcastle, does it mean that there will be, they think, big signings, there will be glamorous names, That there'll be a big seven or a big eight or whatever, that it's all for the greater glorification of the Premier League. That is a problem in terms of holding the Premier League as a whole, to account and that is ultimately where the blame has to lie with this is the premier League have been tricked hoodwinked willfully compliant in waving this through with some very very kind of opaque legally binding assurances that it's it's pi that pif and the saudi state are separate i presume that the big misunderstanding is that the Mohammed bin salman who runs pif is actually a totally different guy to the Mohammed bin salman who runs saudi arabia i presume that's the problem that we think it's the same guy but it's not and that that that's the sort of decision that needs to be held to scrutiny richard masters needs to be needs to be examined on it and interrogated a bit harsh but there needs there are questions to be answered But who is going to ask those questions when it is better for sky that the saudis have bought newcastle rather than some random penny-pinching hedge fund when it's better for the newspapers that the saudis have bought newcastle when it's better for the radio and the podcast industry that everyone is so reliant on this one product strengthening that we are all prepared to indulge this fairly like without being and as i say i'd love, i would genuinely love to see newcastle compete it would be really refreshing it's a brilliant city i really like it it's a bit wrong that newcastle is britain's great one club city does that leads but it's definitely second and yet the whole thing's pretty it's just pretty grim it's just so naked and obvious what they're doing it's a bit grim and yet because we're all kind of invested in it no one no one none of the voices that carry Loads of hipster left-wing journalists will ask questions, but no one cares about them. A lot of the establishment is very happy. Seems to be very happy to see this go through.
2: Can Can I ask about the levels of self-awareness that that are perhaps being displayed um, more willfully by some of the media in something? Which you just referred to there, Rory, and that we we do have we are disquieted by it a little bit more than maybe if this had happened ten fifteen years ago, or uh, what is it thirteen years ago, and a bit since since Abu Dhabi not Abu Dhabi uh, bought Manchester City, um but also within the fans because some of what you were saying, Steve, there is an element is there not, and it comes through in the most odious ways through the whataboutery and the and the silliness, but actually they they are aware that this money is coming from a source that is has already been challenged and will continue to be challenged and so it's almost like they are building their defensive structures Mm. before it happened and now that it has happened they are unveiling them that that would not have happened were it 10 15 years ago i think so at least they are aware of the argument that this money is coming from a source whether it is legally binding assurances from pif to the premier league or not it has come from a source that is questioned either by those in the media, and it's not just left-wing hipster journalists, obviously. It is, it is those who have an opportunity or a platform to be able to say that. Perhaps that it needs a certain amount of independence to be able to do that. I understand that. We are all vested interests, as Rory said. But but should we at least, even if it does manifest itself in a particularly negative way, should we at least be pleased that there is an an, an elevated sense of self-awareness comparative to had it been something of 10 15 years ago.
3: Uh, I'll use a, a cordial bit of whataboutry that I saw on social media in the last day or so to to give a good example of of where we're at and where we're going and why we have this problem. It was uh, Ollie Kay posted an article that he'd written about the takeover and then there was immediate outrage from a lot of Newcastle fans. But one who was a little bit more thoughtful and said, well, look, yeah, great article, really enjoyed reading it. But where was all this stuff about the negativity of club ownership during Ashley's reign? And Ollie posted four or five articles that he or other members of the athletic team or during his time at The Times had written on that very subject. And the response to that was... Well, that's all well and good, but that's five articles over six years. So I'm assuming that you will write no more than that about the Saudi ownership over the course of the next six years. And this is the issue, is that this is now much more interesting. The new ownership of Newcastle is much more interesting than the old ownership of Newcastle. You can't expect less or even the same amount to be written in terms of scrutiny, of the Saudi ownership as there was of the Mike Ashley ownership because as we are getting into and as we've already discussed it it drives the new cycle it gives everybody something to talk about it keeps the story near the top of the agenda and that's where we play our part where we are complicit in in contributing to the fervor in the same way as we get massively carried away about a contentious refereeing decision in a game between Liverpool and Manchester City, and less so about it in a game between Aston Villa and... Stephen, the the correct example for all bad games is Burnley versus Crystal Palace. Sorry, okay, Burnley-Crystal Palace. But a a bad refereeing decision in that game could actually be Mm. more critical, more expensive to the team involved, because it could lead to their Premier League relegation. Yet the, the one that gets days worth of coverage that drives the, the agenda is is the one between the teams challenging for the title or for Champions League football, for whom it's going to make considerably less of, a, of an impact.
2: Now, now, Andy Hitchcliffe is not a spokesperson for Sky, but he is an excellent employee of said company. Are you genuinely, as a human being, regardless of the reason that money has come about, if you were to get a Newcastle game in the future, or in the next I'm few I'm doing weeks...
0: Newcastle Tottenham, strangely. Right, okay, well the there you go. The first game.
1: Are you, are you there uh, as well? are always going to be there, there. wow! I'm going because journalists are parasites. I wouldn't go to Newcastle versus Spurs normally. It's boring,
2: <laughs> oh, it's I really see. interesting okay, now. We are, this is the Mayor culpa part of the episode, um, but but you, you, with that game and the ensuing games over the course of the next few months or whatever, after the January transfer window, after the next transfer window next summer, Mm. Do you instinctively look forward to it more? Do you want to watch that game more? Or are you disquieted by the fact that that, that, that everything is, is uh, underneath this
0: shroud? It is, it is, yeah. I find it really, really worrying. And again, because it's happened doesn't mean that makes it clearly, makes it all okay. And what it's going through and they've taken over and the football goes on, that surely this has to be something that has to continually be gone back to and said, hold on a minute, that, We've got to really rigorously look through how this has happened because it really is... I know you saying, well, players just play, pundits just watch the game and analyse it, and of course, yes, that's what we do. But we're all aware now of, we're involved far more in the wider world, and something like this is, to me, is really worrying. I've had so many people say, oh, isn't it great you'll be there at Newcastle to start this new era? And I said, do you not see what has happened for this to come about? What do, you mean? what do you mean? I said, well, you know exactly what I mean. And it isn't, oh, it's happened before, money's come into football. Because I said, yes, but this is a really disturbing, I feel it's a really disturbing situation as a personal view, of course. But what I have to try and do ultimately is that game will go ahead and many Newcastle games will go ahead and you can be unhappy in many ways about what has, has happened to get to this point, but I still have to think, well, my job ultimately is to cover the football or you take a stand and say, I simply can't watch this because this is this is completely and utterly wrong. And it is, as you say, go back 10, 15 years, you never would have been having thoughts like this about the wider world and people not directly connected to football, but actually are because of the ownership of, of Premier League clubs. And it, it is incredibly... I'm not, no, I'm not more excited than, uh, than normal going back to St James. The amount of times I've been there and spoken to, to fans and stewards, people who work there saying, as Steve was saying, about... You know, I, I can't believe we're not where we deserve to be. And I said, have you seen your team play for the past 10 years? Mm-hmm. That's why you are where you are, because you're not very good. Yeah, but look at this stadium, look at it, it, it. And again, it's this, this whole dilute, and this is going to fuel it even more. But I've got, again, looking at their situation, they've got 13 Premier League games before January kicks in. They could be in a world of relegation trouble before they get to January. It isn't beyond the realms that they could be a championship club at the start of next season. I'm not saying you want that to happen, because again, you can't wish that on them because of the way this this takeover and the people that have taken over have, have, have stepped in. But actually, I, I just think there's there's going to be more, and I think there is going to be major problems down the line with all this. But again, all I can do, and I think what well, my job ultimately is to, and that's not getting away from the issue, I've, told, I've said what I feel about this, but it, again, if this has gone through, you think, well, all the checks must have been done, it must be inverted commas, above board. But as Rory was saying, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I think this will be revisited and it is incredibly worrying. But I've just got to concentrate on, on Newcastle playing Tottenham and assessing that game. That's all I can do at that point and get a feel for what's going on. But there will be, it will be bedlam. I guarantee you, it will be absolutely bedlam at that game. And I'm not going to say, well, actually, there's, there's certain games you go to and there's that fervour and excitement. For, for me, the right reasons, I feel that excitement and fervour at St James's Park will be based on something that is 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 something that I'm not not particularly happy with. It's
1: it's always a challenge for whether whether you're a broadcaster or a or a print journalist or whatever to to know how to pitch it where where the real world
0: intervenes in football. So how do you cover? It's like within the game, Rory. Would you start talking about what's happening in Saudi Arabia? And it's again, it's all connected to, to what's happening on the pitch. But again, is that my responsibility? To talk I, about is that my actually my role?
1: In in all honesty, mate, I'd I'd say probably not. Not oh, yeah, the, exactly. The, yeah. But equally, and I mean, I, I, I don't want to kind of speak Hill of Sky particularly, but if you if one if one of their co-commentators was to suddenly in the middle of a Newcastle game say we 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 have to remember that this is all been done to try and. Whitewash the, the the image of Saudi Arabia's appalling human rights record and make it more kind of amenable to the, to, to trading partners across the world. Mm. Would that potentially endanger endanger their jobs? I
3: don't know. That would depends how much Chinch likes spending time in Portugal. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, yeah. The, um, that could be that
1: will yeah. be your final blaze of glory before you go out. But you have this issue all the time. You have it with Ronaldo, and it's really you get you, you get a lot of criticism whenever you write about Ronaldo for not. For anything that seems to veer too close to veneration of him as a person, and even if you try to avoid doing that completely for for the reasons that I, I hope I don't need to spell out but are obvious, there will be times where where your praise for his football inability which is unquestioned, does seem to veer too close to um to something m- more personal, some sort of idea that he is an icon or someone to look up to and it's really difficult because uh, do you have to mention that there was a rape accusation against Cristiano Ronaldo in the middle of a match report and that's not that's not me me being facetious I genuinely don't know it's really it is really complicated and although I think it's a bit of a kind of weak form of argument I would invite anybody to to be writing a a football match report live and taking and to pick Picked their way through that in, that incredibly complex situation. I wrote a column about Marcus Alonso a couple of weeks ago, and it was it, the idea came to me because I think Marcus Alonso is an interesting there is there is an interesting aspect to Marcus Alonso's career, and it was the same week from the off that he he decided he wasn't going to take the knee anymore. Now, to be perfectly honest, to me, if he doesn't take the knee, I think it's I think I think it's the wrong decision. I think it's a unilateral him deciding unilaterally that he's not going to do something that lots of other people. Have decided is is effective and he didn't speak to any of his black teammates about it so to me that is that i would not be comfortable making that decision i don't think that is a reason to praise him but that kind of came up when i was about all right fine i can i'll put an effectively a note in saying that he's done this and it's sort of sotto voce subtext he's clearly a knob but we'll move on that's not that's ultimately that is up to him you might not like it but that is up to him whether he takes the knee or not um but then obviously there is also this incident that happened in marcus Alonso's past a car accident in which a woman was killed and I had emails having written about it I tried to I tried to pick that line again by saying that that, that effectively this is not me saying that Marcos Alonso is a fieldwood story the fact that he has this slightly odd career trajectory is not the equivalent of me saying isn't it great that this all this all happened for, Mar- for Marcos Alonso but you still have people I had lots of really eloquent really articulate really considered emails saying you shouldn't write about him at all because 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 of this thing that he did in the past, and I I see the logic, but at the same time I think you can't pretend. You see it about the Tatar World Cup. One of the one of the whataboutery arguments from the Newcastle fans is, well, I take it you're all going to be on the Tatar World Cup. Well, yeah, of course we're going to, go to the Qatar World Cup because us not going doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Do you know what I mean? It's completely self defeating. That as a reporter you are there to report on what is happening. I thought in that instance um, it was in, it was Marta Alonso was the was the best kind of example of a of a trend that I had noticed and again lots of considered well, well, well-reasoned well arguments saying even if he's the, the example of a trend if it's a sort of feature if it's a news report if it's Martin Salonso's called the winning goal fine if it's a feature maybe don't write it because because of kind of these the, the personal situation of of that specific player and that is a valid argument maybe that is right with the Tatar World Cup, you have to cover it because it it will happen regardless. You have to go to Newcastle games and treat them as football matches and reflect on what has happened in that football match, regardless of the circumstances that
3: have brought them about. The ridiculousness of that comparison, Rory... Only comes into play if whilst you're covering the Qatar World Cup, you insert a Qatar flag into your Twitter handle and yeah. cover the entire tournament in the official World <clears throat> Cup 2022 merchandise.
1: I think if you were if you were to write, I mean that was that was my plan. But the you I were, think if you were to write... just rethink pick, it, I'm not saying don't do it, but maybe just consider just it. Just plot more a careful course yeah. through. Yeah, I think as long as you go to the Qatar World Cup and or cover the Qatar World Cup with an awareness th- th- of why it's happening, what it means that it's happening there, and the cost of it happening, particularly the human cost, and the situation in terms of, of human rights in Qatar, then then you can cover that that, that tournament leg- legitimately. Because the tournament is happening, and as a journalist, you have a duty to to cover things that are happening, that is literally your job. I think if you were to go and write a great big piece about how wonderful it is that Qatar had had hosted it and what a wonderful place it what paradise it is and how everything's perfect that's when you are becoming complicit in the sports washing in in the same way the same way as it, in russia we wrote and in brazil and in south africa there were which were all brilliant tournaments as the tournaments themselves but a lot of the coverage was about the broader the broadest kind of social meaning that that is what you get with those tournaments and that is the only way journalists i think that's the responsible response the responsible response from journalists is to say we are covering this but we will also make you aware when the time is right of the the context behind this and i think newcastle falls into the same into the same the same group that you it's not every time matt ritchie sort of recently yeah. co-opted saudi ambassador flies forward down the left wing you don't have to say there's matt ritchie is this going to make up for you know the persecution of of dissidents in saudi arabia probably not but he's won a corner you but you can make sure in the course of the game that maybe not the co-commentator but you mention the influx of money that the assignment is 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 not without controversy that the that there is a price that has been paid for for newcastle fans having hope again i think i think all of that is legitimate mm. the other thing that's interesting is and we've seen this a lot with city fans is that's a really hard transition for fans of clubs to make with city it was that it was really hard for city fans to get used to being to go in from being the kind of broadly loved underdog to being covered with the scrutiny and the the approach that Man United have been used to for years, which is where every single misstep is a disaster, where every single defeat is a crisis, where everything that goes wrong is highlighted, where people are pouring over your club to find holes and to find controversies and to find arguments. With Newcastle, it'll be exactly the same. Newcastle have basically been pretty positively covered for quite a long time, because people have a soft spot to them. And in recent years, people have felt sorry for the fans because Mike Ashley's been such a dreadful owner. That will not apply anymore, because does their circumstances change.
2: Uh, I'm conscious of the fact that we've... Uh uh set up this podcast talking about the fact that we wanted to celebrate something other than the money in the game that has brought about this newcastle takeover um and we use norwich as an example if we've not not mentioned norwich once so let, let's spend the last couple of minutes uh just just celebrating them or perhaps talking about why it is an an idea that we should be celebrating them because Norwich are the kind of team who are likely to get relegated again because of exactly the reasons that run counter to the things that we've spoken about so far. So why is that the reason that you picked out Norwich in particular, Rory? Because they are this self-sustaining club who stick to a principle and don't necessarily think about money first because clearly if they did think about money first, they'd be probably hamstringing themselves in a way that so many promoted clubs have in the past
1: i've talked a lot I'm going to, i'll try to be brief sometimes things happen at the once upon a time the, sometimes things happen coincidentally there was a brilliant piece published in the pinken which i think is part of the uh east anglian daily press um, it's I like i read a,
2: that too i read that too yes
1: yeah, uh, by connor southwell who's a journalist there who covers norwich um about criticism towards Norwich for being irrelevant in the Premier League because it is perceived that they have not tried because they haven't spent enough money. I think Jamie O'Hara said that they haven't tried and therefore we should cut the Premier League down to 18 teams. It was
3: a typical bit of clickbait nonsense. It wasn't particularly serious punditry but the piece that Conor wrote... Stop sharing this stuff by the way people. When Jamie O'Hara says nonsense on the radio just ignore it. Don't (laughs) share it on social media. You're That's giving, what he wants. I wants with the theme. You're you giving it life. Yeah, you're, you're giving it oxygen. It does not deserve. But Connor
1: wrote this really good piece about about how actually we sh- Norwich should not be criticised for their approach. They should be praised for it. And it, it did get me thinking that we we do have everything a bit kind of. And I don't want to use technical jargon, but arse about tit basically <laughs> that. Norwich are really admirable they don't make it they don't get everything right by any stretch of the imagination they should assign a central defender I think their transfer policy is one of those that that looked great when it's not scrutinized but probably when you look deeper into it you might be a bit like maybe not that's not that wise but they are admirable in a lot of ways they they are self they are self-sustainable they are sensible with their money they accept kind of that you have to build slowly and you have to take the roof with the smooth. They 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 are not shooting for the moon. They are not jeopardizing their future. This is how you should run a club. And that then got me thinking that the reason that they are treated as being quite boring is partly because it's quite far away. So it's it's good to be able to tell your, your office that it's far away, that it's boring because you don't want to drive up the, the A11. And also Norwich is really far from everywhere. Like Norwich is quite far from like Thetford and it needs to think about where it is in
0: the country, but <laughs> the the other thing is that we well, my soccer is, story actually relates to thetford but more later excellent
3: <laughs> what a tease
0: they should definitely relocate norwich
1: brick by brick yeah yeah it's a nice city like it's a bit of a kind of morrison's own brand cambridge but it's all right i mean and, somebody
3: like just nearish kettering would probably be you know yeah, it in, in the middle some, something that would be close in, enough there's not a, there's not a premier league team around there could you do a swap
1: swap kettering for norwich would that be all right we had size. to check
3: with Kettering, but I'm sure they'd be okay about. <laughs> as it.
1: if anyone's ever checked anything with Kettering. <laughs> the, the um, but, but the reason we don't we don't praise Norwich, the reason that we kind of d- dismiss them as an irrelevance, and even criticise the fact that they don't try hard enough, is because it is better for all of us who are sort of adjacently invested in the game, for a club to to boom and bust. We encourage the boom and bust because it's more interesting to see Fulham going nuts in the tr- summer transfer window is very clearly a stupid thing to do. But we encourage it because it's having a go, it's showing ambition, Norwich are guilty of of not showing ambition by not spending money. And that is the biggest crime of all to the people who who rely on football being as interesting as possible for their continued employment and their continued profit profit growth because those, those, That short-term madness, that soap opera style thing, and it's not a soap opera like Neighbours or Home and Away, it's Dallas and Dynasty. That's what you need
0: for the lead to be compelling. So where do Brentford sit in terms of their processes?
1: So Brentford are a little, little bit in between. Brentford are interesting at the moment, but I guarantee if Brentford finish like 12th, 8th this year, and then 12th next year and 12th the year after, at some point there will start to be a movement of... Brentford need to show a bit more commitment. They need to spend a bit more on the transfer market. Come on, Brentford. You know, you want to have some of the hard stuff. Go on, just try this. It's a nice little pill. Go on, it's a little pill. You won't get addicted, definitely won't get addicted. Definitely won't lose your house because of it. Go on, Brentford, go on. The same thing happened with Charlton. And the the fans eventually bought it with Charlton. Charlton were fine. They were absolutely fine. They were boring, but they were fine. And they were encouraged time and time again finishing 7th is not enough for Charlton. What do you mean finishing 7th is not enough for Charlton?
3: Who are Charlton? And and that's something where we should celebrate the success of the Premier League by appreciating how difficult it is just to finish 15th. We should despair at the amount of money that you have to spend or that is spent just to finish 15th. But we should remember that for, for Brentford to stay in the Premier League, would be a monumental achievement for which Thomas Frank should get the manager of this season award.
2: You should get the Newcastle Or the job. Newcastle job.
3: But it, and and I, I often think the manager of the year award is quite a good barometer for, for where we go wrong. Stop giving Pep Guardiola, manager of the year, for winning the title. That's what's expected. Amen. And his award is the Premier League trophy. We should be looking at who has actually achieved something beyond what is expected or what their investment is so the year that pep guardiola gets manager of the year for winning the title but nuno spirito santo finishes seventh with wolves and also on the shortlist were jürgen klopp and frank lampard well the best managerial performance of that season was Nuno Espirito Santos. And you can say that even now with the benefit of hindsight of how things have gone since. And it'll be the same this year if, if Brentford stay up. That is the outstanding achievement of the Premier League season, not Manchester City or Liverpool mm. winning the title, because that is what they are expected to be expected to be challenging for. And funnily enough, the,
2: the kind of soft spot that a lot of us, a lot of people have for Newcastle because of their story and the fact that they are uh, uh, geographically located almost as extremely as Norwich, but not quite. Uh, means just with that, better roads. just Better, better roads. Um, but there is, is there not a sense that if you if you celebrate Norwich and want Norwich to do well, just like you did Newcastle, which might have ended now. It will be interesting to see how that sense of kind of second team-itis that you have for Norwich might then translate into wanting to see Norwich get bought out by somebody big to see how their journey uh, is extrapolated on that road as well. And that's the funny thing about having these clubs that become, or, or just outside the bubble, that you might like because they're outside the bubble, bubble. they get drawn into the bubble through a number of reasons, but for Newcastle's questionable ones. And then you suddenly think, well, hang on a minute. Who's my next club that I I want to do well? Is it Norwich? Yes, because of the way that they've done things so far. But then if you want them to do well, they're going to have to potentially stop doing that and get bought out by somebody. Some kind of investment fund that is not at all linked to uh, the Regal or... Democratic or non-democratic government of the day. Providing uh, is- that
3: something, something or someone big is the city of Kettering, then uh, in, <laughs> in you go. Norwich have
2: been bought by Kettering and they've agreed a swap. Uh, it is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. This is an Andy Tells tale tale from his play old Broadcasting Days, the adult behaviour and libel where the detail's removed.
0: Well, I've mentioned it already. It's, it's linked to Thetford and Norwich. And it's something that's happened to me for the first time in 11 years of outstanding broadcasting. So it's, I've yet to get a cla- cla- clarification. awards. What was, sorry? What,
2: what was the broadcasting before the outstanding broadcasting? Because that was the one that you
0: did exclusively with me. Yeah, there's learning the ropes and outstanding broadcasting. <laughs> um, so yeah, the last decade, it's been outstanding. I, I haven't got the rewards and awards that I, I they're, they're in the pipeline, in the pipeline. But something happened to me on the road to Thetford that's never happened to me.
3: I, I didn't have an epiphany. I, did, I didn't realise I wanted to be it. a
0: Scientologist or anything. Uh, my car broke down. <gasps> I know. But there's breakdowns and there's breakdowns. Have you experienced a breakdown? Not nervous breakdown. A car breaking down? Yes. Have you, have you been through... It's traumatic, isn't it? Um, Reasonably. Did, did, kind of, did you just trundle off to the side and basically you were out of the way? of no, The flow was, of traffic was, was yours stopped, quite serious. Stopped in the middle of a roundabout. <laughs> I broke down on I think it was the A11 dual carriageway, and how many roundabouts are there on the way to Norwich? A lot. A lot. My car decided to break down on a roundabout.
1: Oh, really? It, just, it was what? one of
0: these push... I'm not going to mention the, the, the make and model. It, it, was, it it from, was it from Chinch Motors? <laughs> yes. It wasn't from Chinch Motors. No, <laughs> that's the unreliable. problem. That's the problem. It's one of those push-button jobbies. Yeah. And I don't know what happened, but I, I pulled into like, the outside lane to go straight on at the roundabout, and the car just just died on me. As I entered the roundabout, so basically completely blocked the roundabout. <laughs> it's the first time I broke... I can't ever remember breaking down in my life, let alone going to games. And we've driven, I've driven thousands of miles. Just, Sorry, just Rory. You've, point got, there, a, you've just got a, a finger point. up. Just a, a point. Way.
1: I think we can all remember you breaking down. This is the first time your
0: car broke down. Car up. has broken down. Yes, not emotionally or physically broken down. So the car, but by some good fortune, a, a breakdown truck actually doesn't nearly hits me but actually manages to stop just <laughs> behind me so clearly the traffic's piling up I'm just I, d- I don't know what to do because I'm just pressing this wildly pressing the start button again just hoping the car will just restart I've no idea what's happened to it so this guy pulls him by me jumps out he clearly I've got dark glasses on he knows I'm a celebrity he says you need help boy I don't think he said boy but you need help boy I said absolutely I do I I and I was just basically panicking is it boys, I broadcasted B-O-R. millions of people, but I was panicking, and the amount of horns that were blaring—this was causing a world of problems. So he uh, he phoned the um, the the police, and who arrived on the scene very very quickly. Very impressed with the uh, the Norfolk Police Department, they turned up. One car blocked off the road. I was still in the car, jabbing the button wildly, turned, trying to get into. So they, this lovely police lady comes around, and she says, uh, we, "It's nothing's happening, is it?" I said, "I don't know what's happening." officer i don't know what's happening here and she said we're gonna have to push this over because you're just causing hell on the highway so i said right i tell you what you jump in the car and she was quite petite and i said you jump in the car she said oh no 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 can't do that you've got to be in charge of the vehicle it wasn't american so i had to then 16 stone chinch sat in the front by this poor petite police lady and her friend another policeman <laughs> was pushed, say as a friend. was the friend <laughs> pushed my car across out of the way. Luckily there's like a little lay-by where they could basically push me out of the way so the traffic could start I've never been as flustered, panicked, and embarrassed in my whole life because I know you know those dual characters they are busy and once mm. a block it's like this could i was gonna be sure it was going to make the local news. But the worst thing was I'd just taken out breakdown cover amazing I've never had breakdown cover in my life I'd taken it out two weeks before so I ring
1: it sounds it's like an insurance company,
0: <laughs> yeah. and saying the car's just—I don't know what's going on here. Don't know what's going on here. So they said, "Right, we'll we'll be out in half an hour." So I'm just sat there thinking, I'm still four hours before the game kicks off. It's a game I shouldn't even have been doing. Someone got pinged and I got dragged into Norwich against Liverpool in the cup. So I shouldn't actually have been there. This was all going through my mind. This guy then who
3: lives the furthest
0: away from? Yes, Cameron exactly. Road. Can you do it? Of Chinch. course I can. I no, drive four and a half hours.
1: That's the thing. We all live equally far away from Carrow Road. Even <laughs> if you're next true. door to Carrow Road, you are four and a half hours from
3: Carrow Road. Chinch, are you available to so you I... Norwich's reserves versus Liverpool's youth team in the
0: EFL Cup tomorrow night? Absolutely. Absolutely. Football's football. So again, so I thought, right, I'll just turn everything off, go out of the car. I thought, you know, deep breaths. There's nothing I can do here. After about 20 minutes, I thought, so I just give it another push? It can't. It should. And I was thinking, please don't restart because... I've had the police out, caused all these problems, got the recovery people on the way. What happened? Pressed the button in the car, and it started, didn't it? So then I'm thinking, well, what do I do? Do I have to wait and the recovery people come and see that the car's fine, or do I just drive off? So I just drove off at high speed, thinking if I keep my revs up, I'll be fine. But I don't know, but then I was... I was just in a complete and utter panic, but I managed to cancel the crystal Luckily, but it's the first time ever. But to break down in in the middle of a roundabout—it's horrific. Was yours in like a city, or was it out in the sticks, or where were you? Because it, honestly, I've never felt as bad in my life. It was awful. Do you know the roundabout at the bottom of the M1? So
1: you come off the M1, you go past the service station, like London Gateway, wherever it is, and you come off to the bottom of the M1, and it's incredibly busy and it's Brent cross shopping station and it's rush hour and you're driving your girlfriend now wife home and you've got to go off to Poland the next day to cover Euro 2012 that is when my car <laughs> broke down ah oh. just stopped just stopped in the middle of the roundabout so what did you
0: have the same problem did you have the uh, the yeah, but without a, uh yeah without a petite,
1: petite police lady to get me out of it so we just sat in the car for for an hour until oh. the, the blocking traffic but your car didn't restart like mine did no no oh, it was just it was God, it's so awful i just very stressful you oh. have my intense sympathies but change I, I watched that game and i thought your co worse. were spotter. i recovered
0: i recovered didn't i remarkably well oh covered that's all you can do as a professional you've got to put it behind you thank my good friends at the local constabulary and the recovery service even though they never turned up but they were going to come that's the important thing
2: Keep your correspondence coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Also, buy the merch at tpublic.com. Just search for SPM or Setpiece Menu. And you can, of course, buy tickets to the live show at the National Football Museum on Thursday, the 4th of November. Just head to nationalfootballmuseum.com. It's Thursday, the 4th of November. We'd love, you to, love to see uh, if anybody could travel from Norwich to Manchester. That would very much prove our point. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen, to Andy, and to Rory, and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Setpiece Menu for you in very soon indeed.
3: Is that the most dramatic thing that's happened to a car in Norfolk since somebody wrote Cock Piss Partridge down the side of a (laughs) rover?
0: A former international breaks down near Thetford Forest.
3: That would, I think, that would genuinely
1: make the news in Thetford. I think well, that is a good it. Chance might do now. It might do now.
0: I, I hope they're
2: scaring uh, independent football podcasts just to find out if there's any possible mention of Thetford. Stephen, are you responsible for PR as well as responsible for social media? Perhaps you could send something their way to let them know that it was indeed Andy Hinchcliffe who caused that massive tailback. That the the one thing, yeah, the the only thing
0: town. was, they didn't seem to recognise that it was. As they, they just seem that, to treat yeah. me like a, a normal member of the public, which I'm very which keen. Which you're not? not. To be, yes, absolutely not. If you'd no, just no. taken
2: your shades off and
0: revealed. Those yeah, baby baby. He asked for my, but they obviously asked for your driving licence so they can check in it's not Hot Motor. I thought, who's going to nick that? Do so you know what I mean? But they checked in and I thought, well, he'll read the name, he'll know exactly. Not a flicker. When you reached into, when you reached into your jacket for your, your driver's licence, you
3: should have just opened it a little bit further so they could have seen that it was from Marks and Spencers, Chinch. That, yes. that would have revealed.
2: As
0: I got all. my accreditation out. Yes, that would have really. They'd have just dived on me, wouldn't they?
2: Just spilled out of your inside pocket. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my Premier League. Uh... Is that an England cap on the floor?
1: I'm <laughs>